Please rise for the reading of God's Word. From 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, hear now God's Word. But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, and in all things, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. Each week we come to the Lord's table to partake of the sacrament of communion. Occasionally, like today, we also have the blessing of the sacrament of baptism. I think it was uh, last week or so, Temple commented to me that she had learned a lot about communion as she's been here at the church uh, and what it means. And hopefully we all learn every time we come to the table or every time we witness a baptism that some new dimension comes to light, some new thing we see and learn and grow. The more we know about something, the more we can appreciate and enjoy it. And so these ceremonial acts of baptism and the Lord's table have a lot behind them, and they also point to other things. And so what should we hear and what should we see in these sacraments? I'm taking deviating from our series on Ephesians. We'll come back to that. Um, But today I wanted to take the occasion as a pastor to speak to you as as a family of God and talk about these things we do. Uh, Again, the Lord's table weekly and baptism occasionally and remind ourselves that these are more than ceremonies. They point to something. We know that in the wedding ceremony we usually have rings and we say, with this ring I be wed. There's nothing magic in the ring. This is not like Lord of the Rings. There's no mystical power in that gold band. But there is symbolic power and real power because it communicates something. It says something about this bond that has been entered into, this eternal bond, this forever commitment. And so with vows or oaths or promises, or in this case sacraments, a sacrament is an oath. It is specifically an oath of loyalty, fealty, a commitment that we will be here. We are going to do something. It it especially had relevance to the issue of someone who committed to the military and took an oath to the military. So this isn't a casual thing. It is a formal obligation. And in baptism, uh, we enter into this new relationship and we take an oath of loyalty to Christ. For the rest of our lives, we are your followers. It is a commitment. And with commitment comes responsibility and duty. We have obligations that we have committed to by taking this oath. It's not, a, it's not just something being given to us 
There are benefits, there are privileges that come with having taken this oath because not only do we make promises, but God Himself makes promises. But those are conditional promises, and those conditions are where we find both the duties and the responsibilities. And since God always keeps His promises, God always fulfills His duties, His responsibilities, if you will, He also requires of us as His creatures, as His children, that we too meet the responsibilities and the duties that he's laid upon us in order to receive the blessings. So the blessings are not automatic. Uh, it's, if you went to work somewhere and you became an employee and you started the job on Monday, number one, you're expected to show up. Number two, you have given, been given a specific duty and set of responsibilities. You're over this or you work in the mail room or whatever it is you do, whatever you were hired to do, you now have to do. And if you show up and if you do your job, then you expect to receive benefits, primarily a paycheck. But if you don't show up and you don't do, fulfill your responsibilities, then you're not going to receive a paycheck, at least not for very long. Those Duties, responsibilities, and benefits are tied together. That's when we take this oath of loyalty. uh, Included in that are all these promises in both directions, these vows. And so baptism is an initiation, an an initiatory sign. It is the marking. It is the uh, sign and the seal. It is the official adoption. And in this is defining, naming. We baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are placing His name upon you. You belong to Him. You have received that name. You are a Christian. And as a result, you are being separated. You are being put in a special class. You are being made holy. You you come out from the world, you have gathered together with God's people, and now you have been incorporated into the body of Christ, and that makes you special. That makes you a child of God. And so there is this that happens in baptism. And then in the Lord's Supper, there is this sustaining sacrament where we are nourished. We are fed. We are taught. We should learn every time we come to the table. We should... Remember all the things we've been taught from the Word of God. In fact, all the sermons, the the pulpit is located where it's located in this church, at the head of the table. Because we're actually already begun preparation for this meal. And everything I'm saying now, uh, as a spokesman for Christ, is to teach you what He says from His Word to prepare us all to come to the table again. And so every, time, every week as we come back over and over and over, it's in the context of being fed. Fed the Word, and then we're going to be eating bread and wine as the pictures and reminders of who Christ is and what He's done. So we're going to remember because we need to refocus. If we could just be baptized and always remember what we committed to in baptism, then we wouldn't need this. But because we are forgetful, Because we are children, I'm sure you've never heard your child tell you, I forgot, in regard to some duty, some responsibility, some chore. They never forget, right? Do you have to remind them constantly throughout the course of their life? And likewise, we as the children of God have to be reminded throughout the course of our life. 
And here we are renewing that initial commitment we made in baptism. And we do it regularly. We are reminded of that. And so this sacrament of the Lord's table is a sustaining sacrament. Now, the text that we looked, uh, read this morning from Second uh, Peter, um, excuse me, from yeah, from Second Peter, uh, I'm sorry, First Peter, chapter four, seven to eleven, uh, begins by talking about uh, saying above all things. Boy, when you see that in the Bible, I mean everything in the Bible is important, but when you have something that is prefaced with above all things, then we really ought to focus in on that and pay attention. Above all things we're going to see is love. If you have everything else, as 1 Corinthians says, but you don't have love, then you are just a clanging symbol. If you don't have love, you don't have anything. You've missed the point. Baptism is the entry into the covenant community. We are formally and public, we formally and publicly become part of the body of Christ. We're connected to Him, to one another, and this now entitles us to the privileges of the sons of God, which means, of course, we are welcome to the family table. This is all about our being brought back into fellowship with the triune God, who is Himself, as we've been saying recently, an eternal communion of love. Having washed away our sins, that's what we see pictured in baptism, we are restored to our original purpose of living in that communion of love with Him and with one another. We didn't just join the church, we became part of the body, which is a living organism. Baptism declares God's love for us. Thus, when I read that, uh, thing about little children. It's a reminder that God loved us first. God acted first. God moved first to save us, and we now respond. Communion reminds us of God's love for us. It reminds us of our love for God and for one another. And then the world sees and knows a new commandment Jesus said, I give to you that you... Uh, love one another even as I've loved you. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the fruit. That's the evidence. Our text says in verse 7 that the end of all things is at hand. The old fallen world is passing away. Passing away, as John writes in 1 John 2 8, again, a new commandment I write to you which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. God has begun this new work, and it's not a little thing, it is the most important thing in the whole world. It's the most important thing in your life, and yet it's amazing how little we think about it. In fact, I thought occurs to me, I was meeting with John and Heather yesterday, uh, premarital counseling, and uh, we were talking about marriage and weddings. And do you know the difference between a wedding and a marriage? You know the difference between a baptism and living in communion. They're not the same thing. One begins the other. 
A wedding is a ceremony that begins a marriage. It's amazing how much effort goes into planning a wedding and how little effort goes into planning a marriage. We have a lot of successful weddings. We don't have nearly as many successful marriages. It doesn't... All that effort that goes into planning the wedding and the money that's spent is nothing compared to what it's going to take to have a successful marriage. And yet we get all worked up about a wedding and so many people never get worked up about a marriage. Never, they think somehow that just comes naturally. Same thing about church membership. It's easy to join a church. It's easy to be baptized. It's easy to say, I want to follow Jesus. It's easy to have the ceremony, to take the vow. It's hard to do it. And it's hard to plan it. And it's hard, to, it's hard work if it's going to be successful and we're to achieve it. And so, if you were riding in a luxurious train, but realized that the play, that um, there was a place up ahead where the bridge was out, wouldn't you be looking for every opportunity to get off that train? Well, that's what Peter is describing here. The end of all things is coming. The bridge is out in this world. It doesn't end well. And by the grace of God, he has provided a way for us to get off that train. Many are caught up in their blissful ignorance, an ignorance that will end in a rude awakening. You now know better. As John Newton wrote in the hymn that we just sang, glorious things of thee are spoken, fading is the worldling's pleasure. All is boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Peter goes on to say, therefore, since, since everything, since the bridge is out in this world, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now, we do have what Newton referred to as solid joys, but we also hold those joys in the context of a seriousness about our faith. We're not playing games here. Being a part of the body of Christ is central to our lives. This is not life insurance. It is life itself. We are always on the lookout for anything that would sidetrack us. Very early, Jesus warned His disciples saying, Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so, having entered into this covenant with God, we are now part of the family. We're now part of the community. We're part of the communion. We have been given full access to the Father and therefore we pray. We talk to Him. We commune with Him. Verse 8, And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You're not a private person anymore if you're in the church. You're part of something bigger than you. This is not just a community. It's a communion of love. And if it's anything less than that, then we have failed. 
The way we glorify and enjoy him is that we imitate him, and he himself is a communion of love. Love is a bond. It's a glue. Colossians 3.14, And beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. To the degree that we give ourselves to each other, there is cohesion in the body. If we live on the edge, we live on the perimeter, we kind of come and go as we please, we do the least possible that we can do and still think that we're in. We're not committed, we don't sacrifice, we don't really do anything that's inconvenient, then we've missed the point. Fervency, he says, that means to do it with enthusiasm, with passion, and I would add that we get happy about it. They don't just do it. It's my duty to go to church. It's my duty to do this. I guess I'll go. I guess I'll tithe. I guess I'll participate. No. Get happy about it. That's where the blessing comes. Fervency. And it will take that fervency and passion of love if we're to live in communion with one another. You're not that easy to live with. I know I'm not. Did you resist saying amen? She said it in her heart. And so it will take that fervency and passion. If I may pick on our newest members for a moment. See, all right, well, Visa stepped out, so Jacob, you're it. You're the covenant head. But I could substitute anybody's name here, so it's not just picking on them. The hammocks have formally entered into this communion today. They made promises as to how they intend to live in this community. Many of those promises will involve personal sacrifice for others, which is what love is about. But each of us made the same promises today, not only to the hammocks, but to one another. And as nice as the hammocks seem today and I'm sure they actually are, I suspect they will not always, at every moment, be easy to love. And neither are you. We are all going to sin, and we're going to sin in a multitude of ways, and we will need that commitment of fervent love for one another to cover those sins in order to maintain the communion that God has called us to. God insists that our love be fervent because he knows that without that added effort, it is not easy to love one another. Covering sins means not allowing them to come between you and another person. It doesn't look the other way. It doesn't cover up sin, but rather deals biblically with sin through grace or mercy or repentance or forgiveness, whatever it takes. Proverbs 10:12 Hatred stirs up strife but love covers all transgressions. Colossians 3:12 and 13 Therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved put on tender mercies kindness humility meekness long suffering bearing with one another 
and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. He had to add that last part. To be hospitable is characterized by generosity, friendliness to guests. Think of a hospital. There's hospitality. This is your Christian duty. It's what God requires of man. Not, it's not optional. This is a command. Well, I'm not very good at that. Well, of course you're not. Your job is to get good at it. To get better at it than you are. However, whatever level you're at in showing hospitality, you can do better. Because this is not optional. With every privilege comes a responsibility. If you neglect this, you will pay a price later. Communities are built on love and hospitality. I bet there are people who could complain about how many how they've not been invited over in a while. We don't ever get invited over. Well, who have you invited over? Oh. Well, I was waiting on them. No, don't wait on them. If you want friends, then be friendly. If you want to be loved, then love. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Start with you. Don't start with everybody else. Communities are built on love and hospitality. Being in the body of Christ means doing things. Doing hard things. Things that are out of your comfort zone. Things that will make you sweat and worry and fret and be put under some pressure. That's okay. It's necessary. It's not sufficient that we simply get along at church. Our Father has called us to get involved in each other's lives, not only to show hospitality, but as I said, to get happy about showing hospitality to one another. Being baptized, as I said, is the initiatory act. It is the beginning, not the end. It changes who you are, and as a result, it changes all your relationships. You're part of the body of Christ, and you have things to do. You have things to contribute. It's not all about you anymore. It's about God's family and how you can serve. How you can love the body of Christ. Philippians 2, 14-16 Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And then verse 10 and 11, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it with the ability which God has supplied. You say, well, I'm not very good. Well, then, then do it to the best of your ability, even if it's not very good. Not very good is still, is still doing it, even if you don't do it perfect. 
Whatever gifts God has given you, you are now to be employed to minister. Use them to you're to use those to minister to one another. Who did you minister to this week other than your immediate family? It's tempting for some to be baptized to join the church and then resume a self-centered life. Come and go as you please, give as you please, serve as you please, and often we just never please. It's no longer about what you please, rather it's about you pleasing Him. You don't have to... You don't have exclusive rights to the gifts that God has entrusted to you. Gifts are only useful as they are used in conjunction with other gifts, like parts of a car. That's why God put us in the body. You're not self-sufficient. Neither am I. We need each other. If you're not utilizing your gifts for the benefit of the church, then you're stealing from God. This brings unity out of diversity. It gives meaning to the individual. It gives meaning to the body. Ecclesiastes 4.12, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and and a threefold cord is not easily broken. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, a steward is the administrator of someone else's property. The gifts were given to benefit the church. He knows what's good for you, and he knows what's good for the church. And everyone has made or renewed your vows today. We did it at the baptism. We're going to do it again here in just a moment at the table. Your word, your promise, your vows, your commitments. You know, you need to go back and think about every word. Do you expect God to keep every single word he's spoken? What if he fudged a little? What if he just forgot that he mentioned that promise? Oh, I forgot about that. You wouldn't be very happy, would you? And yet we play loose with our promises and our words. Everyone has made a renewed vow today. You, God has given you gifts. He gave them to you to be used to serve and to love one another. And he has called each of us to be good stewards of the gifts he has given us. And then verse 11, finally, that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Remember your chief end? To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. What can we do as a communion of love to show the world, to magnify and glorify the triune God, the, this eternal communion of love. We love each other. Again, Jesus said, by this all men will know you are my disciples. Now I'm going to close by reading what some of you have already read, perhaps this week, a post that I had online. And I uh, just want you to think about it. It's common when people join a new church. And by the way, they comment about this. I was speaking with Jacob. He said, well, it seemed like you wrote a couple of blog posts this week for us. And actually, I didn't. Um, Both of these, there were two, but this one in particular, I wrote about five years ago. And so I just reposted it and actually had it scheduled to be posted before I knew they were going to be joining the church. So, by the way, I don't get up every morning and write those. Um, They're written ahead of time. Anyway, 
It is common when people join a new church for there to be a great excitement, in part because it's new. Everyone has on their best face, and there's hope, peace, and lots of smiles. Over time, however, the new wears off and reality sets in. People start to know us, and we start to know them. Little by little, we're seen in a variety of situations, interacting with our spouses, our children, and with others in the covenant community. We see one another's sins and failures, and inevitably conflicts arise. We're exposed for who we really are, and that can feel scary and threatening. We liked it better when we could manage our image and feel in control. When this happens, we might be tempted to withdraw and seek cover. This can be done in a variety of ways and to a variety of degrees. For some, this can even be a pattern in all their relationships. To be fully known and to be fully loved is the greatest sense of security. God knows us and he loves us. He's not going to discover something about us tomorrow that will jeopardize his love for us. Part of his love for us is demonstrated in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Moreover, Christ died for the church and he places his people in local churches or communities where they can be known and be loved. Every time we start to be known, if every time we start to be known, we retreat, then we can never experience the satisfying security of being known and loved by the body of Christ. True fellowship involves two or more fellows on one ship, and in the case of a local church, it involves a number of sinful fellows on the same ship. This can be and often is a humbling experience, but this is also a good thing. God exalts the humble in due time. To be truly known is difficult for us. To love those who we know is also difficult. It's much easier to love people we don't know very well and to keep our relationships superficial and manageable. Loving the world is easier for us than loving our neighbor. Therefore, God exhorts us to not only love our neighbors and to love one another, He has emphasized that we must love one another fervently from a pure heart. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And then Jacob Duker commented on this, and I really liked his comment, so I'm going to read it too. He said, I like to say that a church is like Noah's Ark. Is close, is, excuse me, let me start over. I like to say that a church like Noah's Ark is close quarters living. If you're going to be on the ark, you won't be able to hide all your habits. You won't be able to hang out with Shem and Japheth alone and, and will have to bear with Ham's shenanigans. Even so, it's the best place to be. Because it is salvation from the deluge outside, everyone out there is drowning. Let's pray. Father, teach us how to be serious and watchful in our prayers. May the world know that we belong to you because they can see that we have such loving concern for one another and that your glory is manifest among your people in the body of Christ. Give us a willingness to throw a, covering immediate, uh, to throw a covering immediately and completely over the daily sins which we see in our brothers and sisters 
and a willingness to confront those which must be exposed for their own good and the good of the body. May heartfelt hospitality and giving characterize our relationships, and may the gifts you have given each of us for the advocation of the body be exercised to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the communion table, we come to renew our covenant with God and with one another, to remember the promises that we have made to do all these things that we've been talking about today, and to remember His promises to us. This table is not just another religious activity that we can check off of our list of weekly duties. It is here to teach us how to live. You have a table at your house that should also be a communion of love, a place of ministry and service and hospitality, a place of fervent love. William Still, in his book, The Work of a Pastor, said this, Israel's sheep were reared, fed, retrieved, healed, and restored for sacrifice on the altar of God. This end of all pastoral work must never be forgotten. That, uh, that, its ultimate aim, is to lead God's people to offer themselves up to Him in total devotion of worship and service. And so we welcome the hammocks to this table, welcome each of you as God's children, as those who have been baptized and brought into the body of Christ, as we come together in communion with Him and with one another. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for our baptism and the fact that it declares us holy in Christ. We are reminded that it is because you loved us and because you have kept the oath you swore to our fathers that you have brought us out with a mighty hand and freed us from the house of bondage. May we remember that we were slaves to sin and you redeemed us. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for you have visited and redeemed your people. You have raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of your servant David. Knowing then that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct, but rather with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, we give you praise and declare our thanksgiving. Stir us up afresh that we might lay hold of its promise. Bless this Lord's Day, our rest, our fellowship, and as we head out to stand and testify to the world about you being the creator of life, we pray, Lord, that you would make this effort in our community effective to prick the conscience of those who are wrestling with this issue of abortion, to stir up desires for remedies and for loving solutions like adoption. Father, keep us safe and use us for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.